2: Hey everyone, this is David Kern. Thanks so much for checking out this podcast. I won't keep you too long, but I did want to say a quick word from our friends over at Duke University's Arite Initiative. This summer, from July 9th through the 14th, they're going to be hosting the High School Summer Seminar in Ethics, Philosophy, and Religion on Duke's campus in Durham, North Carolina. This seminar is going to prepare high school students with a roadmap for approaching those same subjects in college. Using texts from literature, philosophy, and theology, the seminar will examine such topics as the meaning of virtue, The substance of human nature, the question of human flourishing, the metaphysics of reality, and the nature of truth. Students will also discuss the ideas of natural law, the relationship between philosophy and theology, and the relationship between science and religion. The seminar will be co-taught by several Duke University instructors and professors. It's open to current high school students entering their junior or senior years. There's no fee associated with applying or attending. Let me repeat that. There is no fee at all for applying or attending. And those admitted will be housed in the Duke dormitories and provided with meal cards. So again, that's no fee of any kind associated with applying or attending, and it includes lodging and meal cards. Pretty good deal, I think. Students interested in applying should email johnrose at john.rose at duke.edu. That's j-o-h-n dot rose, r-o-s-e at duke.edu. Applications will be considered on a rolling basis until April 26th, 2018. And again, that's john.rose at duke.edu. And with that, enjoy your show.
0: Hey, Mr. Matt Bianco. So I'm told that we're going to do another podcast about reading.
1: I was surprised because if you remember at the end of our previous podcast, I said, if David will let us,
0: and here we are. Yeah, yeah, because he tried for weeks and weeks to, to prevent this, but somehow we've broken through. <laughs> that David Corn. Forced him to hit the record button, forced him to take minutes setting this up. Hmm. Whole minutes. Minutes,
1: <laughs> minutes. So why are we doing this again? Because people still don't know how to read? I don't... <laughs> oh. I mean, I'm you not mean, saying all mean of you previous... don't know how to read. I'm saying... Are you trying to say that after our previous podcast, the whole
0: world of reading wasn't made perfectly clear to everybody?
1: Apparently. We left too many questions unanswered. What kinds of questions do we leave unanswered? Well, you said something crazy like, we should talk about how to read like a human being. What an idiot. thing that to is. say. <laughs> because, <laughs> which is weird because, because you said is? that immediately after talking about that we need to learn how to read like a cat and the book becomes our mouse but then the cat and the mouse will become friends. And it then sounds you said, like I
0: would say eagle and, and mouse more than cat and mouse. You're, you're more I of a cat have, person. I would
1: have thought so too, but did, yet you said cat and mouse. Is that true? Is, did I true. really say you that? You really said that. That's pretty funny. Man, am I a genius. I know, not because I remembered everything we talked about in the last podcast, but because I just last listened to the last <laughs> three or four minutes so I could remember what our Which questions were. fair.
0: You know what we're talking about now <laughs> and I don't. Okay, so then then that's why you've written these questions down for me to look at. Okay, Mm -hmm. read like a human being. That's not a question. That looks like an imperative to me. Number two, what questions do we
1: ask? When we're approaching a book.
0: When we're approaching a book. My question would be, should I pick it up?
1: Or while we're reading it, maybe. Or both. Why not both? Let's do both. Should
0: I pick it up? Should I court this book? Should I kidnap it? Number three, how do we choose which to read?
1: Right. That one is specifically about, in light of how many books are out there and how little time we have, how do we determine which books to read? You know, what's
0: interesting about that is what you're asking here is, do you believe in censorship? (laughs) Um, Yeah, in a way I am. In what way did you take it?
1: Well, you would necessarily have—I mean, when you tell somebody to read book A, if in, in, a, in a world with limited time— Yeah, yeah, yeah. —then you're necessarily telling them not to read book B. Yeah, in principle, right, because you're saying make choices. Yeah. So then are you—in in that, in that sense then, maybe just in that limited sense, did you just censor book B?
0: So then this question becomes a question of assessment. It becomes a question of standards— it's a curricular question that any school has to be asking, right a school A school will actually make a list of books that they're saying every single kid in this school, or at least in this class, every single kid has to read these books. Mm-hmm. That's kind of an amazing decision to make, right? Happily, it's not a big deal because I mean, what difference does it make really? Just so long as they read, that's all that matters, right?
1: Captain Underpants. What? That's
0: the okay, book we're gonna back. get. I take stuck it back, in. I take it back, I take it back. I take it back. So then, so then how do we choose? How does a school, if you were running a school, how would you choose what to read? See what? you have Sorry, to put what? it
1: you have to that's a tougher question. Like I, I would rather answer the question from the perspective of if I'm talking to my friend,
0: uh huh.
1: How what books would I suggest? No, I'm my trying friend? to make it hard. And you're making it harder.
0: I'm being like Plato, right? You you can either have this perfectly organized soul that nobody can see and talk about that. Or you can have this fever city that Mm -hmm. needs to be healed. And we'll talk about that. But the city is bigger and it's got a fever. So it's easier to think about, right? So let's talk about the school where the fever has taken. and, And now they have to decide what books. Well, really what I'm saying is what books should every kid read? That's what the school is
1: saying, yeah. Well, well what is the purpose of the school?
0: Mm, to educate kids,
1: okay. What is the purpose of educating kids? Ah, trying to play that game with me, are you? Um, you brought Play Doh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the purpose of educating kids is to cultivate wisdom and virtue. Maybe, maybe a way to get that a little earthier would be to say one of the purposes then is to enable them to fulfill their duties as human beings, as citizens, as family members, as community members. As, how as, do
1: we teach them to do that?
0: Um, how do we teach them to fulfill their duties? Well, I suppose first we have to identify the duties and then figure out what does it require to fulfill the duties.
1: Is there, are there duties that are universal to all students?
0: Yeah, the human duties.
1: What are the human duties? Ah, okay. <laughs> Wait, okay. I know what human duty is. <laughs> I've had kids. I've changed diapers.
0: <laughs> Don't go there. There's, there's, there's polite people listening to this, Matt. So, so human... <laughs> people listen to this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid so. <laughs> you have to behave. So, so human... The, the, the human duties... The human duties would be the ones that are... You, you know, all of us have these obligations. And I would say... I would say we all have an obligation to God to man and to the cosmos all all of all of that contained in our duty to God because he he created us to be stewards of the creation he commands us to to love our neighbor and he commands us to love him above all so so our ultimate duty then is to love God with all our heart soul and mind and to love man to love our neighbor as ourselves and to and to care for and tend this creation that he's put us in
1: don't we have three different kinds of neighbors
0: um red yellow black white we have four kinds of neighbors
1: <laughs> um don't we have three different kinds of relationships with our neighbors hostile friendly and what would be the third no because we have to love all of them so oh they can't be hostile okay they can only be friendly okay what are they well in in one setting your my relationship to you is that I'm an employee okay. of yours. Okay. In another setting, my relationship to you is that we are friends. Okay. Peers in some sense. And in another setting, I am your superior. What? Well <laughs> Unimaginable. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Um I'm not for your employer, example, by the way. Just your boss. For example, when I'm doing something on behalf of Cersei as a whole, yeah, you're my boss. Okay. When we're working on a project within the Lost Tools of Writing oh, curriculum, I have to obey you, don't I? I'm the boss. Okay. And then when we're outside of work, then I'm the boss then... just by nature. <laughs> <laughs> then we're friends. Oh, okay. Well, we're at coffee hour after church, right? We're, we're friends. Okay. And uh, And so how I love you as my boss is probably different than how I love you as my friend. And how I love you as my friend is probably different than how I love you when I'm your boss.
0: Well, in every case, as long as you do what I want, everything's fine. Well, ultimately, because
1: <laughs> <laughs> your role as boss is bigger, <laughs> and can can sometimes override my role as boss, right? <laughs> because my division or my depart my the curriculum area is is contained within the the institute.
0: Are you going to succeed in bringing this back to reading? I'm getting curious.
1: Well, if my hu- I have human duties to God, yeah, I have human duties to the cosmos, yeah, and I have human duties to my neighbor, okay. But I think we could separate the neighbor duties out. In these three areas, right? I have human duties to my neighbors that are superior to me, oh, okay. human duties to my neighbors who are equal to me.
0: And by superior, you don't mean in quality, you just mean in rank. Yes, right. To, to whom you
1: report. To whom I report. Okay. And then I have human duties to those who are inferior to me, for lack of That's a better term. That's
0: really interesting, because what strikes me as you say that is then we can assume that in every single occasion, God is superior to us, above us, mm-hmm. and that the, the cosmos is beneath us. In terms of rank, we're the boss. Mm -hmm. But with people, it's different. With people, people, it's different. That's why we have a harder time getting along. Well, we have a hard time getting along with God because we don't like anybody being above us. But we have a hard time with people because we're we're wiggly. It actually requires negotiation. Yeah. Huh. This is really interesting. Still don't know what's got to do with reading, though.
1: Well, so then I have to pick if I'm picking books that help me. Oh, fulfill my duties okay, okay. Then i need books that help me to fulfill my duties to god my books that help me fulfill my duties to the creation and then my book my i need books that help me to fulfill my duties to the three the three kinds of people i have to relate to that i have to love what
0: about yourself do you uh, would you you also have to relate to yourself or you have your, your duty to mankind includes your duty to yourself to your own well-being Mm-hmm. your your wife depends on you being healthy, for example. Your wife depends on you cultivating your intellect to the, to the degree it can be cultivated. Your wife depends on your emotional balance, things like that. Yeah. So is that included?
1: That would, I think so. Okay. But what would not be included? What kinds of duties are less than human duties or narrower than human duties? I'm not sure what that means.
0: I'm not sure what
1: that question means. Well, because because we started out by asking what are the duties that are universal to all students, and you said human duties. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. But is there
1: another kind of duty that is narrower oh, that it would apply I to see. some students and not to yes. others?
0: Yes. Okay. So 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 yeah, it would come under those categories. What I meant was, for example, we're Americans. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have a duty. We have a duty of citizenship as Americans, and I think that when I if I'm deciding what my children are reading or what my school students are, are reading. I have to take into consideration these children are Americans, and if they don't know the American Constitution and the American story, good and bad,
1: then they can't fulfill their duties as Americans. So in my particular school, what w- a- another duty that would be universal to my students would be the fact that they're, they have duties as American yes. citizens yes. or as American in Inhabitants in the American realm,
0: an accurate an accurate self knowledge of what it means to be an American, of the American story,
1: which might not be universal to another school, but in this. Well,
0: my wife is Canadian. Okay, she grew up learning bits about America because you know America has the biggest broadcasting (laughs) networks in the world, so we make sure everybody hears a scream. But but in Canada, she learned Canadian history, which is you know pretty boring. But she. what that. have they ever done <laughs> <laughs> well the funny thing about that is i i've i've been studying reading a lot about the great war lately and the role that canada played in the great war is so outsized for such a small people like i think they're a citizenship with 12 million
1: oh i think you meant stature
0: <laughs> well they were mostly scots-irish and, and english so yeah they were shorter than the germanics but but yeah, they were they were so um, they performed at such an extraordinary level during that war, and and that's something that Canadians ought to be very proud of. Yeah. Um, so there is there is there is that which every country should be very proud of. Mm-hmm. We have plenty of things as Americans we should be proud of, and there is that which every country should be ashamed of, and we have plenty that we should be ashamed of,
1: like American cheese.
0: Like yeah, the only, the only cheese really worth eating is Wisconsin cheese, um, but or, or, or Swiss cheese, which is from New Glarus, Wisconsin. That's that's an extra yeah. lesson for you people who just needed one. So yes, yeah, so so as so you say, is there anything that's not universally human? Being American, okay. Now we, you and I, are sitting right now in North Carolina, okay. I think, in my opinion, we owe it to our fellow North, North Carolinians to know how our government works, to know what's going on here, to know the story of North Carolina, okay? Um, and our children do. And we live in Concord, North Carolina. And I believe that it's our duty as con- Concordians, Concordites, as, as uh, con- people of Concord, it is our duty to know something of the story behind this city and to know how its government works, Right. So now, is that all reading? Y- yes, I think so. I think at least at least everybody should read a short history book, at the very least, about the background of their city and their state and their country. But also, everybody should know how the government works in their city. And let me just say this. This is an aside. It's not really about reading. But one of the problems I have with so much of what identifies itself as conservative thought is that or even libertarian is that it it's it's opposed to government as a concept. Yeah. Well, conservative thought has never been opposed to government as a concept. It's been opposed to massive government from a distance. And here's the problem, Mo- modern conservatives are so opposed to the idea of government that they don't get involved in local government. The absence of 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 conservatives in local government, and I'm using conservative in the sense that I mean it. <laughs> Um, prudentialists. The absence of prudent people being involved in local government is what has led to the massive overgrowth of our federal government. Mis- misuse of local government and and lack of wisdom there is what leads to the federal. So-, so I believe that it's our duty in a federalist country to know state and local government to be involved in it. And that means being able to read newspapers and stuff. Um, however, I did not mean for this to become a political or historical discussion, but only to say those are some of our duties. It's also, we should also, we're from North Carolina, we should know some of the great writers from North Carolina. Thomas Wolfe, for example. Yeah. Um, who else is from North Carolina It's a great writer? Thomas Wolfe's the only one I know. No, that lady from Nashville, Jan yeah. Karen. Who? Jan Karen.
1: Never
0: heard of her. She's not considered an immortal,
1: but she's, she was
0: really popular in the 90s and knots.
1: Did you know that Babe Ruth hit his very first home run in North Carolina?
0: See, that's what I mean. That's the kind of stuff everybody needs to know about their North local Carolina. State. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, when I first moved to North Carolina, the, one of the first things I did was buy a book. I can't, remember, I can't remember the exact title, but it was something like 10 Things About North Carolina History Everybody Needs to Know. Huh. Or every North Carolinian needs I, to know. I bet I don't know them. And okay, now, now... That was in it.
0: Now, if, if we focus on our duties in the social realm, this discussion becomes really political. But if we draw back a little bit and talk about our duties to God and man, you know, as humans or the cosmos, then it broadens out a little bit. And it I it's
1: too broad. Pardon? Too broad.
0: I don't think so because, see, the great thing about literature is that it's even more particular than history, right? You, you take the story of, of, um, of um, Scout Finch, Atticus Finch and Scout <laughs> in To Kill a Mockingbird, okay? Not a true story although based on a real, you know, cultural reality, even more particular than any history book will ever give you. I mean, how many history books tell you about a rabid dog that gets shot by a a local lawyer because it's coming at the kids, right? And then they discover that's not, that's not history. Okay. It's even more particular than history, but it's so particular that it's universal. And, and that's the, that's where literature is, is so enormously powerful is that it, in giving in giving a, a a fictional narrative about a particular person a very particular person in a very particular context because we live in a cosmos that's analogical and everything is like everything else that degree of particularity both moves our hearts and makes it easier to see how that story connects to my story
1: yeah 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 the, yes the 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 problem i think what what i meant by it being too broad is that if you if you're looking at the 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 more specific the, the narrower duties like mm-hmm, being an mm-hmm, american mm-hmm. then i get okay yes i need to read the constitution declaration of independence magna carta whatever but also um,
0: but also not just the political documents but the history and i would add the myth if you're british you should know king arthur
1: yes and we should know um you know the I John shall not Henry tell a lie. and mm-hmm. yeah the Wash George Washington, Paul Bunyan, Abraham Lincoln stories. Like we should know those those kind of uh, what we call American tall tales, right? Um, mm-hmm. Instead mm-hmm. of myths, but
0: it's our mythology. But though, it's yeah. our
1: mythology. So yeah, we should we should we should read those kinds of things. I should know the words to the song "Oh Susanna" and stuff like that. Um, but when you go into the realm of the more universal duties duties to God, man, and creation, or cosmos, then what book doesn't teach me about those
0: things? Well, that's, gra- that's good. That's really good. Thank you. Pretty well any book is opining on them. And that's where you've brought up the question of standards. Okay? And, and it relates to the history and political, too. But the question now is not, um, are there books about it, but which ones should we read? Mm-hmm. and that's, I think that's the crucial point here is we should, we should be reading the good ones.
1: Yeah. 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 But hold on. So I'm okay. Even if we limited it to the good ones, even if we limited it to the great ones, there's still more books than I have time to read them in a lifetime. So
0: what? There's more water than you have time to drink too.
1: Yeah. But the question there's is, how do I more frozen custard th- than you have time to eat. Thank God. Because <laughs> I come from an ice cream family. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> but not frozen yogurt, family. No, there, there's, more, Nobody steak. Eats frozen yogurt. there's more
0: steak than you will ever have time to eat. The, is that good or bad? But the,
1: but the opening question is in a world where there are more books than I have time to read, how do I pick which ones to read? Right. And is the answer, it do, you don't pick. You just, whichever one you have in front of you, okay. whichever one you can get your that's, hands on. That's
0: good. So, what I would suggest is is that when we look at our duties, and we've identified the ones that are really obviously necessary, like the constitution and the declaration of independence and the Magna Carta and King Arthur. Okay. Once those are identified, then if a book is great and another book is great, who cares then? (laughs) I mean, now if we're, if we're talking about a school situation where we have to choose i would say let the teacher decide for 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 his or her classroom um some people would say just pick the one you love the most i don't i don't believe that because my loves are too uninformed but i would say the ones that are most revered by the masters of the craft the ones that are um highly honored the ones that that seem to promise the most but if i'm choosing between two great books and I choose the wrong one. Oh, well. It's like choosing, again, the food metaphor. If I have to choose between, between a very fine um, ribeye and a very fine steak tartare and a very fine uh, lobster and I choose the wrong one. So what? Unless I'm allergic mm. to it, who
1: cares? Okay, so that's that's fine if I'm... It's very fine. If I'm approaching that scenario on my own mm-hmm. and I come across mm-hmm. these three books or mm-hmm. these three foods or whatever, mm-hmm. they're all beautiful, they're mm-hmm. all great, they're mm-hmm. all amazing, and I pick one. It doesn't matter, mm-hmm. right? I'm still enjoying something. In fact... Unless in, you're allergic. <laughs> in some sense, you know, it's like God is... God is, um, you know, in, in Genesis when it says let's go down and see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It's like that, right? I'm going to go down. I want to go down and see what is Matt going to choose? Mm-hmm. And then there's some joy that he takes as a father, right? In mm-hmm. seeing what his child and has And he's done. not
0: doing it to see if you make a mistake. He's doing it to see what it Absolutely. reveals about you. Absolutely. It's the joy of fatherhood. But
1: sometimes it doesn't look like that. It looks more like this. My mother comes to me and says, I've made you this steak tartare. My wife comes to me and says, I've prepared you this lobster. And my mother-in-law comes to me and says, what was the third dish?
0: I don't remember, but it doesn't matter. You've mentioned the mother-in-law. I,
1: know, I brought you this, right? <laughs> you, now. You don't have to think about that. <laughs> now when I choose, I'm doing more than just choosing a great book. You're choosing the person who wrote it or get, who's giving it to yeah, you. Yeah, so, so what happens when this friend comes to me and says, you have to read book a yeah and this other friend comes to me and says you have to read book b you decide
0: which friendship matters to you
1: <laughs> <laughs> and there to okay so see to me that's the crux of the question really yes because the books are all great not necessarily equally so yeah of course with for every person but the books are all great so then i choose based on relationships based on relationships based on the community that Why i'm not? in based, so if i'm a close reader yeah God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm a close reader, then I'm going to read those books that I'm in community yep. of with the people I'm in community Absolutely. with, who are the other close readers: David, Angelina, Tim, and and all those listeners. And why not? Right? And why not? That would be a perfect way to choose my next book. Mm-hmm. If I'm in a book club in my local community you or my library, yeah. my church, whatever, yeah. then I read those. To books. me,
0: to me, that that's that. Yeah, I, that that to me is fine. If if the community is choosing good books, then who cares what the books are? Let's talk about them because they all are. The book is like the the glass and the wine in it is the ideas, right It's the ideas that you want embodied so i don't to me that's okay, fine. Just read whatever the community says now if if we're talking about as a community leader, what books do I choose? that's a harder question
1: right which so to me, because of that mm-hmm. i have I have found it very difficult lately to tell people. You have to read this book,
0: Yeah, you shouldn't unless, tell people: unless it's Homer in the Bible, you shouldn't say you have to read this. I, I actually agree with that that, and maybe Virgil as Westerners, if you want to be an educated Westerner, the assumption here is that we're talking about people who want to get educated. Yeah. if you want to be an educated Westerner, which is to say, be aware of your own heritage and where why the world is like it is and why books are written like they are, right seems to me you have to read Homer, Virgil in the Bible.: I agree and Shakespeare.
1: But unless unless I'm going to remain in community with that person and be there to discuss
0: the book with them, I'm just kidding. I'm just adding for fun now. Although Spencer, yes, can we do like a poly po, poly a poly polyphonic polyphon? podcast? You do one talk, and I do a one, and we see if it comes in harmony. <laughs> We just both talk at the same time. I don't know how, Musicians how enjoyable that will be. we do that? that we because we're not jazz artists. Yeah, but we, we our thoughts are just so musical. <laughs> are they? Um, let's try it. You start talking. No, and, let's not do that. Ah, uh, Let's do
1: it. And unless I'm going to be talk about in, your... Stop theme? it. Oh, okay. Unless I'm going to be in community with that person while they're reading the book, I find it difficult to say now, you have to read. I just finished reading... Um, what's the book on my desk right now? A Gentleman from Moscow. I yes. haven't even started it yet, but let's say I'm a, I've just finished it. I just finished reading A Gentleman from, from Moscow. I, I would find it difficult to tell, to tell somebody, you have to read this book. You
0: shouldn't. What you should say is, this is a book that I loved, right? If you loved it. You should say, this is a book that I loved. And then, And then if the other person says to you, why? Then – you can explore whether that person would also benefit from it. Yes, but there's plenty of books that yeah. I've read that I would That's not cute. recommend to just anybody. That right. I wouldn't recommend to you because you wouldn't like them. Spelling of TV shows, for example, the greatest uh, uh, TV okay. show ever made. Wait, and wait, let
1: me guess. Let me guess. Um, it's Endeavor. You know that.
0: What? Okay. But I know. But I know that to recommend that to you it would just go right over your head. You you just you don't have the antenna for that show. So I'm not going to bother. <laughs> It's personal. Reading is personal, right? It's it is personal. But but here is the and thing: communal. It's it's personal and communal. Personally but, communal, but, but communal is personal. And, and by mm. personal, I didn't mean individualistic.
1: Okay, okay. I meant okay.
0: I meant personal, yeah. right? In other words, it binds us with other persons. Absolutely. And so and so when you choose a book, it it, it shouldn't be an act of tyranny. There there are books. Schools have to decide, I guess, what what books they are going to make the the, the kids read. And generally speaking, you should, in a school, you should choose the books that have had an enormous impact, especially not just a vague impact on society. But, okay, let's say I am a painter who wants to become a great painter, and I'm studying painting. All right, as a painter, I don't want to look at mediocre paintings, and then imitate them, except maybe if there's some specific element, okay? There's there's yeah, exceptions. Yeah. Okay, If I'm an athlete and I'm getting... Let's just pretend. Imagine that I'm getting good at basketball because of my height, okay? And I'm becoming NBA quality right. at the college level, okay? <laughs> I, I'm gonna be able to tell who I want to imitate mm-hmm. because I'm advanced now. But if when I was in third grade... My teachers started telling me to imitate people who were not good and had really bad basketball habits. I never would have got to that point. Right. So what we need is not to be just asking, ah, what had the biggest cultural impact? Although that's an important question. What we need to ask is the people who are really good at that art, maybe it's sonnet writing, maybe it's drama, maybe it's uh, epic poetry, but the people who are really good at that art, what do they look to as their models? What do they sit in awe at and yeah. say, oh my goodness, how did they do that? And, and that's not hard to find.
1: Mm-mm.
0: Those are the books that are in the canon. The books that are in the long-term canon are not there for any other reason ultimately than that people who also wanted to get really good at doing that stuff found those to be the books they had to feed on. Mm-hmm. Those, are the, those are the most valuable. And that's because A, they're, they're, they're magnificent craftsmanlike, right, their craftsmanship is phenomenal, and there is no other written text outside the Bible as phenomenal as Homer's Iliad and Odyssey in terms of just pure craftsmanship. And then secondly, the level of insight, just you, 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 you hit a point in a great book, you hit a point where you just say, something miraculous happened when this guy wrote this book,
1: right? And that's what yeah. we call inspiration. What, okay. So in light of that, then... Is it better, and maybe I'm asking a bad question, say so if I am. You're asking, "Oh, only if you are okay." It, only if I am. Okay. Is it better to read as many books as I can or is it better to pick mm-hmm. the best 10, say or 12 or 5 or whatever I think and just reread those? That's
0: really good. I think there's two things you need to be able to do to read well. You have to have some books that you read very closely. My, one of my favorite educators in the whole history of the world is Vittorino de' Feltre, And he was a, a Renaissance educator, early Renaissance in, I think it was Florence, but it might, might not have been. He educated some really important people. And he was apparently a very godly man. And, and he had his students, his Italian kids, as I understand it, read a total, a total of six books.
2: For in all. How in, long? In
0: all the years he educated them. Right, from like, let's say, I'm going to assume 11 or 12 until they finish their high school education. It might have been from the time they were six or seven.
1: So like 10 to 16, 11 to mm-hmm. 16 or something. From, yeah. For at
0: least six or seven years and maybe 10 or 11.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He only had them read Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, I think Horace and a few books. But you see, he picked only the best and people who read those books closely discover that whole worlds are contained in them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you don't need all kinds of, you know, children's literature and so on. Okay, now in our day and age that would be really hard to do and 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 probably probably the reason he did that is because he knew they'd be reading on their own anyway. But the point is, people need to learn to read deeply. And you can't learn to read deeply without reading deeply, okay? And reading deeply takes time. And it takes one text that you keep coming back to, going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. You have to keep digging. Mm-hmm. Right? This is why I think I think Bible study is the most transformative experience any human being can go through because every kind of thought, every kind of writing is contained in the Bible, and you have to you have to learn to be so flexible. I mean, you know, you would figure that the the, the God who made us in His image would manifest the the glory of that image in all the disparity and all the diversity of the kind of writing in the Bible, it's incomparable in terms of you know a close study of the Bible, where in, when they're little, they're yeah. memorizing passages. But every year, in my opinion, since we're onto this, in a school, every single year, the children should read the entire Bible from let's say fourth grade on, in one way or another, they should be guided through reading the whole Bible. But they also should be going deeper and deeper and deeper into it, and doing exegetical studies by the time they're in, say, eleventh grade. Ex- deep analysis of a text, say the Book of Ephesians or the Book of Hebrews, um, not not Revelation, because then the school would split in half or fourteen parts. But you know, in other words, you got to have that really close read, okay? But and Martin Cothran, my friend, says says um, you how does he put it? I'm gonna, sorry, Martin. Something like you can read almost anything in literature as long as you read a lot. Okay, that's that's really badly put. So let me explain what I think he means by that: is literature is, well, what he says is literature is dangerous, and the only cure for that danger is to read a lot.
1: Hmm.
0: Okay, and and I think he's right that that if you're too immersed in let's say let's say some kid gets totally addicted by Harry Potter and all he ever reads is Harry Potter, that's going to be harmful. Not because Harry Potter is necessarily harmful, I won't comment on that, but because to read a book that obsessively is harmful. And he, he might not have any familiarity with other witches in tradition, with other magics, right? And so he doesn't have a way to, 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 to think about all that. Would
1: you say that's true of every book? Um, probably. Only pro- read the Iliad would the... be bad? Would it be harmful? Yeah, to well, I think it would be. the Bible is harmful? Uh, yes,
0: I've seen a lot of harm for people who only read the Bible. Now, let's qualify that. Okay, let's qualify that and say, if your goal is to be, um, if your goal is education, you better read more than just the Bible. But also, even if your goal is godliness, unless the Lord only gives you the Bible, okay, then, then you should be reading other stuff. But good grief, of yeah. course, there's some people who who just read the Bible with holiness and are, you know, really there. But most people at least need to read books written about the Bible. Yeah, that's true. At the very I mean, least.
1: It, it would be harmful for some people. Most it would be people, har- it, it would be harmful for me. It'd be harmful for me. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. When I come that to the sense. Bible, I always come with all my limitations, and by the grace of God, His grace and the Holy Spirit. Is there an exception to what? Are there people who should only read the Bible?
1: Is there any? Is there any book that you could read that obsessively? That you could read this that book obsessively oh. and it not be harmful? Jane Eyre, well, for I example. Mean, <laughs> <laughs> if if even <laughs> the Bible. Should be read
0: as a member of a community. Yeah, then I can't see how any how other book else would be would not an exception. Be
1: and the community—I really want to stress—that's interesting though. that you use the word community, because the community that you're reading in it, reading it in, could be other people, could be other books too. Is other that books. what you're going? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And and you know, you could draw
0: an analogy here. Okay, let's say somebody in our audience really wants to know the Bible quite well. Okay, then the question becomes. Should I just read the Bible, or is everything a distraction? And my contention would be there are other books that help you understand the Bible, but some more than others. Okay, so if I'm reading, if I, if I'm reading a careless, popular um, Christian bookstore study of prophecy, it's probably not going to help me very much with the Bible if it's the only thing I read. But if I read that along with three other books about prophecy from various perspectives, it's gonna do me the great favor of forcing me to go back to the Bible and compare all those texts to the Bible, right? And I think the same, a parallel happens with any literature. We can get so absorbed in, in, in one book or in one form of, of book that we become unself aware of our own limitations when we're reading the book. Hmm. And one of the great things that reading in community does, and by the way, well, let me finish the sentence. One of the great things that reading in community does is it humbles you and shows you that you miss almost everything when you read. Mm. And and the reason I say that, because I remember when I was a kid, I remember this vividly feeling this, that I would read a book for my British authors class, let's say, or my American authors, whatever. And I'd go, okay, I got it. I get this now. And then I would go into class the next day and the teacher would start explaining it or there'd be a discussion in the class and all kinds of stuff would come up that I'd never considered. Yeah. And I thought, at first, I thought, I don't know how to read. It took, me, it took me a while to get comfortable with the fact that you can be a good reader and miss yeah. almost everything there, just like you can be a really good swimmer, but you're only going in one lane. Yeah, right, right.
1: right. <laughs> That's another aspect that I found in the um, reading and community Cause I've done a couple of things, a couple of events now where we've, where we've read books out loud as a group, in a group. Ah, yeah. So like I've gone out, out to West Callahan's, uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. you know, Summer Hill, uh-huh. Summer Hall. And, uh, and then you're sitting around we're reading whatever church father it was that year um, out, out loud in a group. And then I've done this at a couple other times at some friends' homes with other books. And what I've noticed... NCSI. And, and yeah, that's right. NCSI with the, at the Summer Institute yeah. with, um... The Iliad, Odyssey, and the Aeneid—not in one year, right, but right, right. three different years—and um, then this year it's Hamlet, right? Mm-hmm. So, the uh, when you're when you're reading the book out loud like that in a group, I've noticed that I ask different questions right. of it right. by by virtue of the the people who are there with me. That if I'm reading it alone, I'm asking one set of questions. But if I'm reading it out loud with you, I begin wondering, oh, I wonder what Andrew thinks of this. this uh, yeah. Line, you know? yeah, yeah,
0: sure. Yeah. And also even, it's I think it's worth mentioning, reading it aloud is a different experience than reading it quietly. Mm-hmm. So so I think one of the things we have to do with our reading is not force questions. Like one we we've got the the uh number two is what questions do we ask? And one of the things that I, I like that we haven't addressed that question yet. Because one of the things that you should do when you're reading is just read. Look at the page and let the words come into your mind and just read. Yeah. Now, when you do that, the author is provoking questions, at least in your subconscious, so I'm not opposed to questions. But... I think sometimes what we do is we make it an analytical activity in the sense of the murdering to dissect analysis, right? Yeah. Where we, we put the book on the table and we murder it and we start slicing it up. And no, I want to I play with my books first. I want to I have a living puppy in front of me. I want to I come at it from different angles. And, and that's my point here is that when we read, we should come at our text from different angles, different senses, Okay, yeah. we should, we should, sometimes we should, one of the things I'm, I'm reading right now, the book Loris which is the Ooh. Russian novel. You have to read that book. I love it. <laughs> I, I like it a lot. I'm on my second read. And when I'm doing this second time through is, is I'm every night at bedtime, I read a chapter and it's three to four, maybe occasionally five or six pages a chapter. And what I'm doing is kind of a, a Charlotte Mason thing where I, I read the chapter and then I turn off the light. I lie down. And I recite it back to myself. Oh, nice. And and it is nice because because one, it puts me to sleep. But, but second of all, it slows my mind down, right? But but then secondly, I'm feeling and remembering and visualizing huh. in a way I usually don't. Oh, brilliant. See, I was a terrible reader as a kid. I, I got good grades in school when I did my work, but I was a terrible reader without knowing it because I tried to read everything as fast as I could. For mm-hmm. some reason, I got this value in my head that you should read as fast yeah, as possible. I did the same thing. What happened to me, because I don't have a good visual imagination, what happened to me is is I would read a whole book and never see anything in it. I could read Tolkien's trilogy yeah. and not actually see in a way of it, you know, people will describe for me the you know, characters moving around, leaping off the page. I mean, I would, I'd get a sense or a feel, certainly, I'd get a vague shadowy imagery when I look back on it. But this way of reading it is making me see things a lot Mm. more, and I'm trying to. I'm trying to see the the looks on the faces, you know. And try it. And what I'm saying is, is we should read all different ways. Sometimes it's fine to read fast if you're just culling information or your goal is to beat your neighbor. You know, all the kind of false vices, vicious reading. But a virtuous read is going to be a read that's attentive and listening. And so that attentive reading means that your your senses are involved. You know, use your, use your sense of touch, use your sense of, of, of smell if you can, use your, use your, ima- visual, your mind's eye for sure, um, but, but use your voice, use your ear because you're bringing in voice and, you know, mm. that's two things then. And, you know, then everybody says I'm a visual learner or whatever, you know, well, so what? Do the other stuff too. I, I am, I would be described- other stuff
1: especially.
0: Yeah, agreed. Because I would be described as a visual or audio learner. I would be, I guess, an audio learner primarily. If they did that, if I ever cared, but to me that just means okay. Then I really need to work on this other stuff, and there are ways to improve mm-hmm. that. That's where questions come in, by the way. There are ways to improve that. So now, so my point here is to, to is to make to make reading have multiple approaches to the book, and if you have time. Well, if you're reading so fast that you can't ever immerse yourself in a book, stop reading so much. That's what I would Mm -hmm. say to that. Mm -hmm. You should always have at least one book that you're reading very closely. And you can read, along with that, you can read a whole hundred other books very quickly if you want to. Introduce yourself to every friend at the party, but get to know one of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's good. I like to, I to, I, I think a lot of people do this, but I like to keep a pencil nearby. Mm. and make margin notes as i'm going through on, on the books that i'm reading more closely you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. and like to um you know you know in your bible you got the the column there reference column that Tells you like, oh, this verse is alluding back oh, to yeah. this yeah, yeah. this Old Testament passage or whatever cross like, references. Is that what yeah, it's like called? a yeah. cross reference. index. I like to make that in my books. Oh yeah, it's like my Iliad is f- and my Odyssey are filled with references huh. to scenes before and after, uh-huh. um, scenes in the other book, you know, the opposite book. Uh-huh. Sometimes references nice. to scripture. Um,
0: Where the Where the Odyssey is referring to scripture,
1: or it says something that sounds a heck of a lot like scripture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said heck of a, right, as I was about to talk about the Bible. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember reading in Plato's
0: repo, uh, the Symposium, In um, I was in college at the time, and he used the phrase, um, the poor in heart, poor, mm. poor in spirit.
2: Mm.
0: Now, it might have just been a 19th century translation. Right. But I asked the professor, so is this, is what, what Socrates is talking about here, the poor in spirit, is that the same as Matthew 5? And without any you know, consideration or thought, he he just threw he said no. Huh. So I always wondered about that because yeah. the answer was so fast,
1: it was almost like he was afraid it was. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well like in the Aeneid when when it says to that um that Aeneas cannot carry the household gods to the new mm-hmm. Troy because his hands have been bloodied by war. And Solomon. you can't help but think of David being told yeah. you can't build the temple yeah. because your hands have been bloodied by war. That's why Solomon has to build it.
0: Nice.
1: And it's like it's like wait, is that intentional? Is that did Virgil know that he was that he sounded just like David, you know, the the or, or did God let it slip in by accident? <laughs> right, right? Or the or the tongue of fire over over um Ascanius's head. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and then and you know, this is seventy years before Pentecost. Right. And he's describing Pentecost on yeah. his son's head on Aeneas's head or yeah. son's head. Yeah. It's like, is that did and see you're
0: pointing now now you're pointing to number two, and we should probably wrap up with, with this question and, and I'll try not to do all the talking like I apologize for doing here, but you know me. But it says what questions do we ask? Well, I want to replace that with, with this way of putting it. What should we do when we're reading? that helps us to see the kind of thing you're talking about. Yeah. And that is, I think that, that, okay, God made us as his image, okay? That means that there's a source and there's an echo. Uh-huh. And I think that we, as echoes, love echoes. As images, we love images. That's why we love imagination, right? Yeah. We, we have an imagination. We, we think of that as creative because we're images of a creator, I think the most powerful way of reading is very simple, and that is simply listen for echoes. Listen for echoes within the story you're reading and listen for echoes across stories. And I believe that, one, I believe that that, that um, I can't say proves by any means, but it illustrates or embodies the truth that we are the image of God and that Christ is the desire of nations. Because you will hear the story of Christ echoed Across every culture, across all literature, and to give a, a, a very simple example, you just kind of you drew us to the Aeneid, so I, I'll draw on that. In Acts two, um, um, Peter describes how Jesus, when he de- when he died, he descended into hell, or into Hades at least, and while he's there, it says it, he specifically ascribes a psalm that David had written to Jesus. He says, "Look, David's still dead, yeah, yeah. okay?" And what he says is, he says. Um, I, I, I rejoiced because you were present with me, right? It's Jesus talking. I rejoiced because you were present with me. And then he says, you have made known to me the ways of life. Well, I've always thought of that until about last summer. I always just thought of that as basically a, a comforting idea that, you know, the Father shows us when, when we're in despair, when we're in anxiety. Yeah. He shows us how to live. The ways of life. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is Jesus, who has died and is in Hades, you know, when he went to preach to the spirits in prison and so on, the Father shows him the way out, right? The path, Mm -hmm. the ways of life when he's in death, Hmm. right? Now that to me, I don't know what that could possibly mean ultimately, but I can tell you that's echoed. Right, right. Right. That's the point is it's echoed in Aeneas going into the underworld and then he has to be shown the way out. Yeah. Okay. Jesus has gone to be among the dead and the father shows him the way out. Okay. Now again, I'm not trying to interpret And it's that. the father
1: too, right? Aeneas is Oh my goodness. The father is one who oh, helps him goodness. find his way out. Whereas in the Odyssey, Odysseus goes in amongst the dead, and it's Tiresias that helps him find his way out. Right? You,
0: you almost get the impression that our soul is in the image of God, almost, and that that image manifests itself in our stories. I mean, it's it's just it's 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 mind blowing. And and what and what what concerns me is when Christians are afraid to read the great literature because it might distract. When in fact. Read receptively and read it as, as as you know read faithfully you can you can see in, in anything from any culture you can see the echoes because the human soul is always yearning for God he hmm. is as the prophet Isaiah said he is the desire of nations and we express that desire for Christ in everything we write and do especially and it, the deeper stuff
1: and I, not to make too big of a deal out of it. Or to put too fine of a point on it, but you know when 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 the Pharisees are going after Christ about who he, who he, who are you, and then he says when you know before Abraham was I am yeah yeah and then there's this whole thing that comes up with the tense there right because it's I am meaning right. I, I have always been right and always right. will be um, when when it when Isaiah says that he is the desire of nations uh, it's not he has been he had been the desire of nations or he will be the desire of nations but he is the desire of nations yeah, yeah. meaning per- perhaps meaning that before Paul preached Christ to the gentiles he was already their desire and so huh. and so Virgil and and Homer and and all these guys can have these they're pre-echoing.
0: It- right. Pre-echoing, yes. Anticipating. And that's, why, and that's why Augustine could write the famous line, our heart is restless until it finds its rest in the O Lord. Well, if it's restless for him, then the restlessness for him, the eagerness for him, the it's, now this is not in any way a denial of our sinfulness. Right. But the desire doesn't go away. It just can't find satisfaction yeah until christ comes right and and so all global literature before Christ is anticipating him, but I would say that even now you read the you read modern literature, and what you're reading is either the sense of loss that comes from losing what you were looking for and found right and mm-hmm. going right or a renewed thirst for him, right now. I mean, it's really nice when we can say, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after the O God, and we know that that desire is satisfied in Jehovah in his temple. Yeah. Right? That's a great blessing for us. But for people who don't know that the desire is satisfied by Jehovah in his temple, okay, they still feel the thirst. Right. They just don't know. They just do it despairingly. So the, what we should do, and the question to ask is, what echoes do I hear? Yeah. Now, I got into the you know, highfalutin, or not highfalutin, but I got into the whole echo of Christ. But I think that's, we're going to see the echo of Christ anyway. But just listen for any echo. Yeah. Does the author mention water in six different passages? Why?
1: Yeah, I, I, think, I think that, I, I think we can't help but to hear echoes. Yeah, because we're humans that's what human beings do when they read but what we do is we've been we've been shamed Ooh. into into finding false echo. like we work we we've been shamed from finding the echoes from acknowledging them as echoes because um i don't i don't know if it's kind of like uh, you know this this anti symbolism okay. or okay. something like that going okay. on but there's this sense in which well structuralists you know people are like People have been told, we've been told for too long, and we've said for too long that no, that's not what you're seeing is not a symbol of that's right, not really a symbol, right. right? So now I'm now I'm right. afraid to bring up any possible yeah, but I'm not talking about echo or symbol or or but 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 when when we talk about echoes, some people jump right to that jump right to the symbol, and then and then there's the you know, an, all I mean the is the accusation, that, gets all made, I
0: mean right? is that there's a there's a repeated picture, sound, whatever. Right. Yeah, listen for yeah, no. any echo. Right, right. Authors put echoes in their works on purpose.
1: But isn't that what your what your professor might have been doing by oh. jumping by immediately saying no 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 that's not that's not that that's not the same porn spirit maybe right because it, there's there's yeah, maybe that's I, he, interesting we're like we're not allowed to see that as an echo. Plato couldn't possibly have been echoing right. Matthew. Right. That's ridiculous. You know, and and yet um, unless it's unless it's you know some overly pious translator, yeah. <laughs> it, it probably is an echo, <laughs> um, but then but it can't be seen as one. Yeah. Because there's some weird yeah. fear
0: that we have about that. Well, if we do, it's psychotic, literally, because, yeah. because as I say, authors echo on purpose. A rhyme scheme is a sound echoing line to line, mm-hmm. right? A motif is just you know you you run into images that keep popping up in a book the authors do that on purpose they want you to notice it okay if 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 he uses a word 17 times on a page he's either a really bad writer or there's a reason for that Right. So, right. and there's echoes of any sort. Like, I can just hear people saying, Well, what kind of echoes should I look for? Just the ones that are there. Any, anything that yeah. you see. But and some of them might be thematic. Some of them might be symbols. Some of them might be motifs. Some of them just might be trying to get your attention on something. Yeah.
1: I don't, I think like if, if you were to ask the question, instead of saying, What questions should we ask? If you're saying, What questions or or rather, maybe because what, what it's really getting there is how do I become a better reader
0: uh, yeah. by my questions, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and then if if I were to say, but okay, now how do I do this? If I were to ask the same question, but now of my students or my children, how do I help my children to become better readers? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would say the first thing you should do Listen is not criticize their echoes, right. because the ch- our kids automatically do it. Right. Our kids automatically say things like, "That reminds me of this," right? And then and then I don't see the connection. And so then I say, what? You're silly. Yeah. No, celebrate it. Yeah. Right? Because they're seeing something that is a a legitimate echo. And
0: then you can get into a discussion of why does it remind them? Mm -hmm. Why do you think the author did that? Why do you think that happened in both places? And they might not have an answer, and that's okay. The good thing is they noticed an echo. Yeah. If you notice echoes and over time learn to to figure out why they're there, you're a good reader. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. and and you might very well become a good writer because you'll know how to use echoes now. Right. And I can't emphasize enough that I'm using echoes in a very 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 broad sense. Right. To the point of where somebody's
1: probably going, "Well, this is this is stupid." I wonder if we To thought, which I respond, "Yeah, I said it." <laughs> I wonder if we if we if I just consider like the people that I think are the best readers, mm. like the most brilliant you know people who speak on literature or books you mean angelina of course yeah what is it about her that makes her brilliant she sees echoes and that's what it right it, it's almost always going to be that is the people that i find the most brilliant or that we as readers find the most brilliant are the ones who are pointing out echoes to us that's
0: right and that means pay attention Right, and learn how to compare and so on. So that's where you could ask a question like, "Well, how does that compare with this, or how is that like this?" That can help you. Yeah. But what I what you remember the talk that Angelina gave a talk at our conference, at the Cersei conference, a few years ago about feminism. And as I recall, and maybe I'm mixing my talks up. But she she gave a talk about um, the gospel. I guess she gave it as a different talk about the gospel in literature. Well, what's she talking about? She's talking about how the gospel is echoed in literature. Yeah.
1: Right, right,
0: right, and 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 people came out of that talk. I remember people coming out of that. And by the way, if anybody's listening and hasn't heard that talk get on the Cersei website and, and, and download it. I don't know the name of it, but <laughs> um, ask everybody flood David's email box with, <laughs> with requests. How do I get this? David at <laughs> yeah David at Cersei or org? Um, but she was she was showing how the gospel is echoed in. Everything and and why wouldn't it be mm-hmm. right? The gospel, the gospel is echoed in
1: everything. Yeah,
0: the heavens declare the glory of God, right? Earth is full of his, full of his goodness. It echoes it.
1: He is the desire of nations.
0: Yeah, huh. yeah. That's good. And I and 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 here's the just this is my last thought, and then I'll let you close. But I think that this this is valuable for the Christian uh, student because. Frankly, we spend so much time making our students on edge about losing their faith that we communicate a lack of confidence to them. Whereas what we can easily do just by looking at reality is rejoice in the expansive greatness of our Lord and Christ who owns, possesses, and rules over and governs and makes us a blessing of all things. You know, and why do we not let him? Why do we set aside whole domains like literature and music and whatever and say, oh, no, that's too dangerous. You can't go there. Well, just don't let it take possession of you. No. But it's Jesus's. Right? So, I mean, enjoy it. It's a gift. Yeah. We are like an hour and a half over time.
1: Really? Yeah. Oh, so I'm,
0: so I'm going to stop now. You can keep going, but I'm going to stop. No, I'm
1: done. I've said everything I have to say. (laughs) There there are no words left. I used to have words. I sucked them all all out out of the atmosphere, didn't I?
0: You're fun to talk to, but I'm going to go now. Bye. All right. See you.